Welcome to AUKUS Amplified from the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons, advancing hip and knee patient care through education, advocacy, research, and outreach. Welcome to AUKUS Amplified, the podcast series brought to you by the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons and the first episode in our two-part series on partial knee replacement. I am Dr. Connor King, a joint replacement surgeon at the Center for Orthopedics in Bend, Oregon. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Obi-Eddie Wime, a joint replacement surgeon at Orlando Orthopedic Center in Orlando, Florida. Today we're going to discuss a topic that we know a lot of patients will be excited to learn more about, partial knee replacements. Partial knee replacement is an increasingly popular alternative to total knee replacement. In this procedure, only the damaged part of the knee is replaced. The rest of the patient's knee, including all ligaments, is preserved. We are honored to have two leaders in the field here to discuss many of the common patient questions about partial knee replacement. We're really excited to have Dr. Jess Lahner. He's a professor of orthopedic surgery at the Rothman Institute in Philadelphia. He specializes in knee replacement surgery and truly is a leader in the field of partial knee replacement, as well as the use of advanced technologies, including robotics. We also have Dr. Keith Barron. Uh, he's an orthopedic surgeon and joint implant surgeons in New Albany, Ohio, and is a leader in the field when it comes to outpatient joint placement and partial knee replacement. And I just want to say that in, in orthopedic terms, having Drs. Lawner and Dr. Barron here is essentially like having LeBron and Steph Curry. So I hope everyone is excited as we are. Who do you want to be, Keith? I don't know. I don't think either one of us have the height to be compared with uh, with Steph and, and LeBron. But, you know, LeBron left Cleveland, so I'll be Steph. I, I think our, us Ohio boys have still a little bad taste in our mouths. So let's go ahead and get started. This question is sort of both for Dr. Lahner and Dr. Barron. We kind of want a little bit more about what your initial experience was with partial knee replacements. And what about the procedure initially sparked your interest? You know, I trained in, in New York City in the early 1990s. And in New York, there was really no one doing unis in the five years that I was there training, just based on a response to an early article that John Insall had written a decade or a decade and a half or earlier, looking at some older designs with kind of suboptimal patient selection parameters. And based on that article, there were no unis being done. So I didn't see a uni until I went off to fellowship to Boston, where there were a good number of unis being done. I really got swayed and influenced by that experience. When I started in practice in 1997, there were not a lot of unis being done in the greater Philadelphia area. And so it was a, a really good opportunity to bring a procedure to this area. It certainly exploded here over the last 10 years as newer, more inclined, younger surgeons have come to the market. I had a very similar experience, interestingly. Through the 90s, there was very few partial knees except for in pockets, as Dr. Lawner said. A couple of big uni champions in Boston, Chicago, with Galante and, and Rich Berger. And then little spots around the country where partial knee and uni knee were being done. I joined Tom Mallory and Adolf Lombardi at, at JIS Orthopedics in Columbus, Ohio. And... Dr. Mallory at the time was working on partial knee replacements. He was very, very involved, very interested in partial knees. He was working on a design for partial knee. And at the same time, late 90s, early 2000s, was the time when a surgeon named John Rapisi had a technique and, a, and an implant that was perfectly suited to be really the first minimally invasive procedure that a knee surgeon could offer a patient to treat arthritis. 
And so my mentors, Dr. Lombardi and, and Dr. Mallory, were very interested in partial knee. And much like Jess, coming to that market and coming to the Ohio kind of Midwestern area, there was no one else really doing a lot of partial knees. And so it, it became part of my practice. And then in 2004, Biomet launched what's called the Oxford Partial Knee. It's the only partial knee in the world that's a mobile bearing that was at the time was the only one in the world that was then approved by the FDA in 2004. And I was fortunate to have been selected to be one of the first to go to England, uh, learn the technique, and then come back to America to teach the technique to surgeons. And so really that, that in the early 2000s was the big catalyst to take what at the time was bouncing for even a uni advocate surgeon, four or 5% of your practice might be partial knee replacements or, you know, one in 20 patients to take an indication and an operation and an implant and push that number up to what we believe may be more appropriate in the 30 to 40 to 50% range of patients that have knee arthritis that might be candidates. And so it was a, a real quick transition in my practice in the early 2000s and and have continued to really appreciate and enjoy the results for my patients over the last 20 years. Awesome. awesome. So yeah, I mean, uh, partial knee replacements are, it's probably my favorite surgery. So I kind of want to emulate the work that you all are doing. Moving on to the next question, we'll start with Dr. Lawner. What do you tell patients about the difference between a partial knee replacement and a full knee replacement? Well, the big difference is the obvious one that we're only resurfacing a portion of the knee. We're leaving the healthier structures intact, the ligaments, the cartilage on the other surfaces. But importantly, the recovery is quicker than the recovery of a total knee, typically. The risks of medical complications or surgical complications are reduced. So the things that we're most fearful of when we're doing a total knee replacement, infections, blood clots, all the myriad of things that can happen, they can certainly happen with a partial knee, but they happen about two-thirds less frequently with a partial knee than with a total knee. And then ultimately, I tell patients, once they're fully recovered, the knee will feel more natural than a total knee, which has a tendency to feel a little more mechanical. So those are sort of the three areas that I discuss with the patients. Great. So this question is for Dr. Barron. I see some patients in clinic who I think would be great candidates for partial knee replacement. And a question they sometimes kick back to me is, why don't I just have a full knee replacement? So what's sort of your go-to response for patients that are saying, why don't I just replace the whole thing? That uh, any of us that do a substantial percentage of our practice as partial knee or uni knee are going to see that question daily. And it makes really, really good sense, right? I mean, if we say, hey, if you're in there, I'm having anesthesia, I'm having a surgery, let's just do the whole thing and get it over with. That question in and of itself implies that a partial knee might fail, but a total knee will not fail. And that's what I really emphasize to the patient that in in my hands, in our experience over 20 years and nearly 5,000 partial knee replacements, the survivorship or the risk of revision, which we'll touch on later, but the chance of needing to have your knee redone during your lifetime is not that much different between the partial knee and the total knee. So the old saying, why throw the baby out with the bathwater? Why take out all the normal ligaments? Why expose every patient to that risk that Dr. Lawner talked about of perioperative complications, blood clot, fracture, ligament damage, infection, the real catastrophic complications occur three times more often with total knee, why put every patient through that when one in four, one in three, maybe one in two patients 
will be a candidate for a partial knee replacement. And so I have that conversation daily in the office. It's a very logical question. And it requires a good understanding and a good explanation from the surgeon to the patient because the shared decision making has to be there for the patient to really understand and appreciate. And then the last thing that I say to every patient, and I say it, I say, I will say the same thing in the preoperative area that I'm about to say, and that is about one in 20, 5% of the time, if I get in the operating room and I see something that I don't like, then in my experience says this partial knee isn't going to work great for you, I will do a total knee replacement. I'll do absolutely my best for you. I'm going to say that now, and I'm going to tell you that again in pre-op holding. And that also gives the patients a little bit of comfort that not that it's a game time decision by any means, because it's 95% of the time or more, if we decide to do a partial, we're going to end up doing a partial. But at least the patient then is very aware that I'm I'm ready to do the whole thing if we have to. And now that total knees are entirely outpatient procedures in our practice, that's something that the location doesn't matter. The recovery makes a big difference, as Jess said. And so I tell patients, there's so much benefit to a partial knee. You're a good candidate for it. Let's not throw the baby out. And to get back to Dr. Lahner's point, early on, we maybe weren't quite as good at selecting who was a good candidate, who wasn't. That may have sort of impacted in a negative way some of the positive outcomes. So if you're sort of speaking to a patient and also for yourself, what sort of do you see as an indication for someone who might be a good candidate or what might exclude a patient from being a candidate for a partial knee replacement? So most of the patients that are candidates need a medial uni. I like Keith talk about the lateral unis because he's so good at them and does a lot of them. But for patients who have arthritis that's localized to the medial compartment based on their history, based on their exam, based on their x-rays, I really start thinking that this might be the, the right procedure. But of course, patients really should have very little deformity. You typically wouldn't accept more than 10 degrees of, of varus alignment. More than that, you start thinking that there are other issues like a deficient ACL. ACLs, at least functionally should be intact, particularly with a fixed bearing uni. The indications might be slightly different with a mobile bearing. But with a fixed bearing uni, as long as the knee's not unstable with typical activities of daily living, and as long as the contact point of the femur on the tibia is not posterior, signifying that there's no significant subluxation, then I think that patient can be a candidate. And then they need to have a certain arc of motion. So typically, we like to say the patient should have more than 90 degrees of motion. And I think that's true. While the upper limit of flexion contracture that you can accept is about 10 degrees, I prefer more extension in, in my patients, but I'll go up to a 10 degree flexion contracture sometimes. And then the interesting discussion always is the location of pain. So I really like my patients to describe their pain as being in the anteromedial part of the knee. Now, they won't necessarily say those words, but they'll point to that part of the knee. There are some data and there have been some studies that show that the location of pain is not that critical. Certainly, some patients with medial arthritis might have some lateral pain because of the effusion that causes uh, pressure on the lateral capsule. But I get a little bit worried if the patient complains of really diffuse pain I start wondering whether there's more than than the obvious medial disease. So those are sort of my primary indications for a uni. Obviously, you wouldn't want to do this in someone with rheumatoid arthritis, although there are plenty of patients with a diagnosis of rheumatoid arthritis, and it obviously doesn't affect the knee 
based on the absence of synovitis, based on radiographs that show kind of classic osteoarthritis. But still, I'd be reluctant to do this in a patient with that history, stability, all the things that I mentioned earlier. I think that as we've learned so much in the last 25 to 30 years about partial knee, and particularly we've gotten long-term results with fixed bearing and mobile bearing, which are two different types of devices, but they do the same thing. I mean, in general, patients who are candidates for this operation, I really don't think that advanced technologies like robots or custom knees, mobile versus fixed, I, I think all of that is a little bit of a distraction from who is a good candidate for a partial knee. And over the first 10 years of doing partial knees and, and now kind of in, the, in the, the last 10 years of doing partial knees, my practice has evolved to where when I see a patient, instead of thinking, boy, are they a candidate for a partial knee? I really evaluate, just like Jess said, range of motion, location of pain, deformity, stability, all the things that make good sense. Then I evaluate the x-rays and I'm thinking on every patient, why do I have to do a total knee? And a total knee is the, is the default, not the strategy. And so the strategy is, can I do a partial knee for this patient? Is it the best operation for them? And then if it's not, I'm going to do a total knee replacement, which is a great operation, one of the best operations that can be done. But the indications are exactly what Jess said. I think that people have talked about pushing the indications. There's really not much need to push the indications. If you keep it right in the fairway and you say, I want the ligaments to be normal, I want the rest of the knee to be mostly normal, both on x-ray and on exam, that's a good candidate for a partial. As Jess said, about 95% of partial knees are going to be on the inside part of the knee, which is the medial side, the inside part. About 4% of partial knees are going to be on the outside part, which is lateral or lateral compartment. And then a little less than 1%, which Jess is considered to be the, the world's expert, are going to be kneecap replacements. So there's three areas of the knee. Medial inside part, as Jess said, is the overwhelmingly most common area that's affected that would get a partial knee because that's the disease that we see. That's the bow-legged John Wayne arthritis that we see most commonly. And then secondly, 4% or so of patients, lateral compartment or knock-kneed arthritis. And then very, you know, one in 100 in most practices might be candidates for a partial knee replacement. Same philosophy, take out the bad, resurface the bad, keep all the good, including the ligaments of the kneecap joint or the patellofemoral right. joint. And then uh, back to uh, Dr. Barron. Now, in my practice, I essentially tell patients that after knee replacement or partial knee replacement, that there are essentially no restrictions. Is that the same case for you or do you give them some restrictions? The answer to the question is I, I do not place any restrictions on my patients. As we all, your patient that you have here, Evelyn, described herself as being very active. If your activity level and your quality of life is suffering because of arthritis and you require a joint replacement for that arthritis, the goal is to improve your quality of life and improve your activity level, get you back to normal or as normal as we can get you with what procedure we have to perform. And so by placing arbitrary restrictions on patients, I don't think you're doing them justice. The data strongly suggests that, and we can talk about survivorship, but the data strongly suggests that activity level is not correlated with failure. 
it's probably a circular argument, right? That if your knee's not failing, if your joint replacement is not failing, you will stay more active than if it's failing. And so when you look at a snapshot in time at 10 years or 15 years or even 20 years, those patients that are more active have a higher likelihood of their knee replacement, partial or total or hip replacement, still working, right? Because if it's not working, their activity level went down. And so it's not a cause and effect, but it's a relation that there's no evidence that increased activity or restrict is going to cause failure or restricting activity is going to prevent failure. And so I have this discussion again, very commonly daily with patients. Well, what can I do afterwards? If you've waited your entire life to learn how to snow ski, I probably wouldn't do it after a partial knee replacement. But if you're an avid snow skier and you're having your partial knee or your knee replacement done in order to continue to do what you love, go back to doing it. What if I'm a marathon runner? Same question, same answer. What if I'm a cyclist? Same question, same answer. So no restrictions and realistically no evidence to suggest that, that that's a bad and thing. What about you, Dr. Loner? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I actually feel the same exact way as Keith. The one area where I feel uneasy is if patients are really avid runners and want to get back to doing marathons and half marathons, I still get a little bit queasy only because I grew up as a resident in the early 90s and have been in practice since the mid 90s when the polyethylene liners, the bearing inserts weren't great. And they back then could not withstand that sort of pounding. The newer plastics, the newer materials are actually really good and can withstand those activities. But I tell patients when we talk about whether I think they need to restrict their activities, I tell them, you can do anything. I just worry about these circumstances, not because I don't have faith in the implants nowadays, but just because I saw some horrible failures 25 and 30 years ago uh, mostly during my training because the materials back then weren't very good. The other thing that I will commonly add for patients that, as Jess said, yeah, those are the ones that you worry a little bit about. Notably, most of them are actually not going to go back to running marathons because if you really push them and say, well, when's the last time you ran a marathon? They'll say, oh, 15 years ago. But one of the things that I will tell them, and I think the data suggests that this is accurate with the new materials that Jess mentioned, the new plastic, the new techniques, the new fixation. If I knew, and I know we're going to talk about how long they last, but if I knew if you didn't run, your knee would last 20 years and you decided to be a marathon runner, it's not going to be that it's going to fail at five years. Maybe it'll only last 15 or maybe 17, but it's not going to go from 20 to five. If it's going to fail at five, it's going to fail at five no matter what you do. That's an early failure. And it isn't going to be caused by your running. And so that perspective of, well, if I, if I think I'm going to get 20 years out of it and, and running's important to me and it's only going to be 17, I'm going to run. This next question I was only going to ask Dr. Lana, but I, there may be deferring opinions on this. So I kind of want a little controversy. So I'm going to ask both. So we'll start with Dr. Lana. What are your thoughts on robotics and technology and, and uh, partial knee replacements? Well, I think they can be helpful for surgeons who are having a difficult time getting the components in well, aligned well, and balanced well. I'm an advocate of robotic technology, but I don't think it's necessary for all surgeons. And in fact, if you look at the results of partial knee replacements done with a robot compared to 
the results of partial knee replacements done by surgeons doing a fair number of partial knee replacements, the functional outcomes, the recovery, and the durability of the implants are really not uh, different. Although there's some data coming out of uh, the international registries that Keith mentioned that might refute that, and I'll address that. But for surgeons who do a lot of partial knees, the more advanced technologies that we have available to us, like robots and other things, aren't adding much, although there have been some studies that show that even in the hands of high-volume surgeons, the earlier part of the recovery might be accelerated a little bit. Uh, but Keith and others have looked at the role of surgeon experience in driving the outcomes and affecting the long-term durability of partial knees. And amongst surgeons who do very few partial knee replacements, and most orthopedic surgeons doing knee surgery do less than one partial knee replacement a year, in the hands of those surgeons with less experience, there is a higher failure rate. And amongst those surgeons, there may be some benefit to using an advanced technology like a robot because it can help them to position the parts and to balance the knee. And so those technologies may help the durability of the partial knees uh, in those situations. Dr. Barron, what, what are your thoughts? I think that there is absolutely no downside to enabling technology, to advanced technology, whether it be robots, whether it be custom cutting guides or my knee type technology. I really do not think there's a downside. I think that everything Jess said is absolutely accurate. It boils down to the surgeon and surgeon preference, surgeon experience, what works best in their hands for their patients. But technology-wise, I think that if you are a surgeon who believes in it and feels like it's beneficial and, and enabling for you to do a better job for your patient, then by all means, that's what you should be doing. I do think that there is a whether it's robotics or advanced technology or new implants or there is unfortunately a very common theme of it becomes a marketing tool and we all understand that this is the business of medicine and we're marketing to patients and we need to have the best marketing is going to be good results that your evelyn's of the world tell her golf friends and her church friends that uh, that, that she had a great partial knee and that, that's the best marketing you can get but the next best, unfortunately, is to market that you are the insert name of technology doctor. And I think there's some concern with that for patients that buying into a technology instead of into the surgeon that's using the technology or believing that the technology makes that surgeon better than someone else who's not using the technology. I think that's a slippery slope. It's a, it's a super gray area. But I think if you, as Jess has said, if, if it makes you a better surgeon, by all means, that's why the technology has been developed. That's why Jess has spent his entire career developing and, and perfecting robotic techniques. But it doesn't change the indications that he talked about. And it doesn't change the fact that he's a, he's a world-class surgeon. So great technology, you know, like a Superman movie, as long as it's in the right hands, the technology can be super That's beneficial. what I tell patients also, technology or not, it's all about the surgeon. 
So I got another question for Dr. Lahner, and, and we kind of hit on it a little bit, but as a proponent and developer of some of the current robotic platforms out there, where do you see as sort of the future of partial knee replacement? Is it just more of them being done, further advancement of the technologies? Where are things going to kind of go in the next 10 or 15 years, do you think? Well, I think the enabling technologies will continue to evolve. Many of us for our total knees have become enamored with the cementless bearings that are available. And, and certainly they've improved dramatically over the last you know, five to 10 years. Quality of fixation with cementless implants is really good. My hope is that over the next few years, there will, will be increased access to cementless partial knees. Maybe not so much for the kneecap partial knee that Keith mentioned, but for the main partial knees that we usually do. Be nice to be able to do these without cement. I think in many ways, it could simplify the procedure and the cement can break down over time. So if we get good fixation with components that don't require cement, I think it'll be better for the surgical experience. And maybe in the long run, it'll be better for the patients because if you get a well-fixed partial knee replacement that doesn't have cement, that critical bearing doesn't break down over the course of 15 to 20 years may enhance the outcomes long-term. Dr. Barron, what about you? I mean, I know that the implant you use, I think, has a press fit option. I don't know if it's approved in the U.S., but do you sort of see a similar future trajectory for partial knee replacement? I absolutely do. So the implant that I use has a very complicated story with approval from the FDA to be sold in the United States and implanted in the United States. Took a long time to get the traditional version, the cemented version where we use bone glue approved. And we and the manufacturers have been working for over a decade to get the biologic implant, the implant that grows into the bone or the bone grows into the implant approved. It's been approved everywhere else in the world. And interestingly, the registry studies that we keep referring to, these large studies of massive numbers of patients that have been done, show that the device that is put with one particular device, if it's put in cement less or bone ingrowth, the results are actually better than the outstanding results that we already see with the same device that's been used for 40 plus years put in with cement. So I would agree. I think that is on the horizon. I think we're all anxiously awaiting that type of move in the technology. There's been some implants that have that have tried it that have had mixed results. The one in particular that we're waiting on in the U.S. has outstanding results around the world. The other thing that I think you mentioned it in the question, and that is training and education. So we really, is in the words of famous Ricky Bobby, with all due respect to many of our mentors and, and senior statesmen surgeons, the unicompartmental, the partial knee has had a bad rap. And as the younger generation and, and Jess and my generation of surgeons have come through really investigating, researching and developing partial knee replacement, the trainees, the younger surgeons in practice are adapting to it, are picking it up, picking up the technique, picking up the indications. And, and I think that's really the future is the uptake the providing this procedure to patients more frequently, we're going to see the global benefit of doing less total knees and more partial knees. And then the last thing that I'll mention, we, you know, we've talked about partial knees, total knee replacement is a great operation. And I think if we really look at what's going on in total knee replacement today and the momentum behind total knee replacements today, 
I like to take all the credit in the world and stand up with Jess and take all the credit in the world for pushing partial knees so hard the last two decades that our total knee replacements are, I believe in general, moving towards some of the concepts that we just talked about with partial knees, where we're trying not to release ligaments and lengthen ligaments and change the patient's knee to fit a total knee replacement. Instead, we're using more kinematic or patient-specific alignment techniques that I think we've learned from partial knee replacement over the years to do our total knees. And I think in response to that, our total knees are doing even better too. So, so the downstream effect of being big uni fans, big partial knee fans, I think is having a positive impact and will continue in the future to have a positive impact on total knee replacement patients. And just to take that one step further, Keith, you know, the protocols that we've used and advanced for partial knees in terms of accelerated recovery and pain management strategies, rapid recovery, outpatient surgery, we've taken the same protocols and applied them to total knees and look how well it's worked, right? We, we thought there was some magic to either less material or less surgical dissection, but a lot of it came down to educating the patients regarding what our expectations are for them and what their expectations are for the recovery, better pain management, and just changing the philosophy of care. And it's really been helpful for our total knees as well. We used to call the partial knee replacement the gateway drug to outpatient surgery because it was considered, at least by Medicare standards for sure, it was the only outpatient knee replacement that you could do. Now that's changed. And, and as you mentioned, because of the protocols, because of, of how we saw them get better so quickly, because we were doing outpatient surgery with them, it's, it's changed how we do all joint replacement surgery, partial, total, revision, hips, knees, shoulders, et cetera. Thank you for joining us for part one of our podcast series on partial knee replacement. Be sure to check out part two for a patient's perspective on what it is like to have a partial knee replacement. Thank you for joining us for AUKUS Amplified. Visit AUKUS.org to learn more about how members of the American Association of Hip and Knee Surgeons educate, advocate, investigate, and perform humanitarian outreach in the field of hip and knee replacement surgery.